in, Gary. Can I uh, kind of pray with you right quick? Is that okay? Thank you. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Well, thank you for Gary being on the podcast today. And we're just excited for the conversation we're going to have. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. Gary, so you're obviously, you have a new book, Mary Text come out, and you've wrote so many amazing relationship books. I'm curious to hear what, like, what makes you so interested in relationships? Why do you feel like that's kind of been your niche of choice? Well, there are two answers to that, to be honest, Nick. I, I first started writing about marriage as a spiritual discipline. I kind of think of Sacred Marriage, my first book on marriage, as a spiritual formation book. I'd written three books on how we're shaped in Christ, how we become more like Christ, how we relate to Christ. And I just found in marriage, I was challenged spiritually in many ways where I hadn't been challenged as a single. This isn't to say singles can't grow by any means. It's just for me, my experience was my character and so many issues. Uh, Marriage was uh, just a, a whole new horizon to look at to grow. And I hadn't seen anybody write about marriage in that light. So I wrote Sacred Marriage, not as a therapist or a counselor, a psychologist. I don't have that training, but just looking at the spiritual side. And because it was so different, I think that helped it take off. Um, and it did pretty well and it kept growing. I mean, it's now sold well over a million copies. And when you do that in the reality of the publishing world, publishers want books that they know are going to sell well, I kept doing some spiritual formation books. They just never came close to my marriage books. And my other marriage books sold well, too. I mean, nothing is going to sell like sacred marriage, but still um, a, a good enough number of copies where my publisher kept saying, man, we'd like another book on marriage. And so eventually I felt like I was a baker who wanted to bake croissants, but everybody was buying the donuts. And eventually you say, OK, I'm just going to bake donuts. Um But I I do think with the most recent one I did, Making Your Marriage a Fortress, I've really hit a point where I want to go back to spiritual formation books. That's I still have two more books on my contract with Zondervan. Those are the books I'm talking about. So that's that's the publishing reason. But God has given me a heart for marriage, exploring it, understanding it. I think it so impacts our day. I mean, next to my relationship to Jesus, my relationship with my wife, is the defining relationship that I have. And I think it's true for most people. And and so the tagline of my ministry has been closer to Christ, closer to others, seeing those two as intricately connected. The closer I get to Christ, the closer I believe I can get to my wife, but getting closer to my wife also helps me get closer to Christ. So I, I see it as this complete circle. And so it is a, a great interest to me. I couldn't have written, I don't know, maybe seven books on marriage or relationships, seven or eight, uh, if if I wasn't fascinated by it. Um, and yeah. I still believe there's a lot to learn. I still like to read a lot of books about it. But as far as focusing on it, publishing, that was really kind of more the publisher deciding, this is a sure bet. Books by Gary Thomas on relationships sell really well. And that's just materially where a business wants to go. Yeah. And so in your ministry experience and in your authoring experience, writing about relationships, it's a big deal in people's lives. I mean, a relationship sometimes, I mean, it's it's such a significant bond that we have in our life. The idea of a romantic relationships for many people who are listening to this dating, engagement, marriage. But as you write and you minister, what do you think is the most common issues 
that people fall into in relationships as a whole, practically speaking. Yeah. Well, I, we talked about this the first time we talked, Nick. I think that one of the biggest challenges is the reasons people get married. And then that sets them up for a lifetime because in a Christian worldview, when your marriage is expressing the covenant love of God, you're not making a contract, you're making a covenant and you're going to make it work. Um, it, it really does determine a good bit of the rest of your life. And I think so often people rush into a marriage, sometimes ill-considered, and then figure out, well, how do I make this work? And there have been times as a pastor, I've even said, why did you guys get married? And sometimes it can come up very soon. I remember one guy who had been married eight months, and he wanted me to referee the situation between he and his wife because he felt called to go to Asia as a missionary. She felt called to stay in their hometown where her family had been their whole life. And I said, well, didn't you talk about this before you got married? And he said, well, we thought we had. And I had to tell him, well, your wife wins. <laughs> you, you cannot take somebody to the mission field if they don't want to go. And no mission board worth their salt would even contemplate doing that. If you were called to be a missionary, your first call was to choose a wife who would go with you. But now that you've made the choice of your wife, your wife's got to come in front of that. Now, that's a that's a big thing vocationally, but it's other areas where I think people get married for silly reasons, and some will pay the, the price for that. So that's why I am passionate about the sacred search, helping people to really think through, why am I getting married? What makes for a successful marriage? Uh, what do I need to see? What are the red flags? What do I want to look for that I might not look for? Uh, because that sets up going forward. I think once we're married, the key thing for me is just making God the center of that marriage. I, I've written a lot about viewing God as my heavenly father-in-law, loving my wife out of reverence for Christ. When you love someone who's, according to James 3, 2, we all stumble in many ways. I'm not speaking of my wife here. I'm speaking of spouses in general there's a time when a spouse may not be that lovable. I'm called to cherish my wife. And there are times I've heard stories of other couples where a couple, somebody doesn't seem like they deserve to be cherished. And so if you only treat your spouse as they deserve, you're going to have a sub-Christian marriage. That's a marriage without grace. It's, it's treating our spouse differently than God treated us. But when I love my wife out of reverence for Christ, who always deserves to be reverenced, who is perfect, who I owe literally everything I have and am to, then it's an expression of worship. And I think the more that we make marriage an act of worship, uh, the more fulfilling it's going to become, the more intimate it's going to become, uh, the more God-honoring it'll become. Yeah. And I think it's such a good point, right, is dedicating everything to God, making God your heavenly father-in-law. I think it's a really good point. But what I see on a lot of levels, and I'm sure you've seen this before, is people who date someone who is not a Christian. Would, would you advise against someone dating a Christian? Would you advise against a Christian dating a non-Christian? And if so, why would you advise against that? Dating is such a wide word. That's true. People yeah. mean different things by it. If you're talking about exploring marrying someone. I think it's beyond foolish to marry a non-Christian. We're, we're told by Jesus to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He doesn't say seek second or third. He doesn't say 
put it in the top 10. Jesus, seek first God's kingdom above my own comfort, above my own advancement, above my own reputation, above my own financial gain. I'm to seek to build God's kingdom. How can I possibly do that if I'm married to someone who doesn't share that aim? They don't want to seek first God's kingdom. They want me to live for them. They want me to put family concerns over that. I mean, it's just in so many ways, it's going to be a life of conflict. And again, if I want to love my wife out of reverence for Christ, Nick, I want my wife to love me out of reverence for Christ. I'm not always lovable, right? I don't always deserve to be cherished. I want her to have the same divine motivation to love me as I have to love her. And I want her to have the Holy Spirit. I, I don't, I think when you are seriously considering marrying a non-Christian, you're completely discounting the power and glory of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, I think somebody can be a pretty good person on their own. I don't think they need the Holy Spirit to transform them. I don't think they need the Holy Spirit to convict them. I, I think the reality is that you can be a good enough person. The fruit of the Spirit, it's really not true. It's you can accomplish this on your own. It's not really the spirit that produces fruit in a person's life. It's just hard, disciplined effort. Well, I think that's discounting so much of what the Bible says. And also, I think you, you're marrying somebody who doesn't value the word of God. How are you going to raise your kids? What's the standard? What is their ethical standard? And, and, and basically, they're saying, well, I don't think I need to grow in wisdom. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The main way we transform ourselves by the renewing of our mind is to bathe ourselves in Scripture. Somebody who's not a Christian may not even believe in Scripture. They may think to disagree with Scripture, so they can't be transformed. And so I'd say, you better really, really like this person because they're not going to improve spiritually, not in God's eyes, if they're not reading Scripture and, and paying yeah. heed to it. So I, I think you're completely discounting everything that relationships should be based on, that life focus should be based on, uh, and, and what you, you value. But what I, about I think the it's a disaster. But what about someone who says, hey, I get it. I agree with you, Gary. But I think I can minister to them and they can, I can get them to be a Christian while we're dating. But I'm, I know they're not a Christian right now, but I think possibly they may become one. Is there an issue with yeah. that mindset? Well, I, I think so. I think one of the best ways to show them the supremacy of Christ and your devotion to Christ is to say, we can be friends but I could never seriously consider marrying someone who doesn't share my faith. And, and you're demonstrating to them, as much as I feel for you, as much as I'm attracted to you, as much as I enjoy spending time together, there's yeah. something in my life that matters more than my feelings and my enjoyment and my pleasure, and that is my relationship with God. He is the center of my life. And so I think you yeah. undercut your evangelism by seriously dating someone. Now, spending time with them, fine. But I would say spending time with them and getting physical, that's a whole different level. I, I just think that's that's getting inappropriate as well. So when you say getting physical, I think that brings up an interesting point as well. In a dating relationship, I think physical means a lot of things. If you were counseling someone who's not married and you just wrote a great book on you know married sex, I think a big deal nowadays is premarital sex, having sex outside of the context in which it's meant to be. And I'll let you speak to that a little bit. How far is too far in a relationship that is not marriage? 
how physical should somebody be in a romantic relationship that's yeah. not marriage? Well, I think every relationship is different. I think every body is different. Uh, I think an orgasm is too far. <laughs> I don't know if this is explicit where I'm able uh, hey, to use that word. Yeah. Uh, but there are a lot of ways you can get there without having actual um, intercourse. But I also think if that's going too far, I think getting somebody to a place where they're extremely uncomfortable physically because they're right up to the edge and not, I think you're training your body, you're training their body and you're to, to do, you know, it's not natural. It's not healthy to do that. And, you know, you're not caring for each other. You're setting yourselves up to fall. Uh, and, and so I, I think you got to set a line that, uh, is on, let, let me just, we've moved to Denver, uh, from, from Houston, as you know, in the past few months. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the couples we've been spending the most time with is an ex-girlfriend of mine <laughs> from, <laughs> from high school. And in fact, we have supported them physically if they've been on the mission field for, I don't know, 15, 20 years or something like that. The reason we can get together and really enjoy being together is that we had a relationship is based on God. There's no shame. There's no memory flashback or anything like that. We can really appreciate each other. I think that's what we should um, look for. If, if we had gone too far physically, It'd be so awkward. We probably wouldn't want to. I'd be giving up this friendship with a great couple. There's a reason we were boyfriend and girlfriend. We both love the Lord. We had some aims. She's a wonderful person. And, and so I now can have a lifelong friendship that would have been real difficult, I think, if it had become mm. inappropriate and there was a sense of, I don't know, this exploitation. Maybe that's not the right word I'm looking for. Um, but there are other relationships, other girlfriends I've had. I guarantee you, if I said, hey, Lisa, let's go out to dinner with them, she'd say, absolutely <laughs> not. Yeah. And she would be right <laughs> in saying that. Mm -hmm. So I would say aim for that so that if the relationship doesn't work out, you could still see each other and maybe even be friends without it being kind of creepy or weird. No, absolutely. And I think that's a great point that you bring up, right, is that Premarital sex introduces a lot of unnecessary complexity into relationships that young people, you know, as who listen to this podcast, they're not often not ready for the drama, the issue, the complexity, all the crazy stuff and the broken relationships, right? You even mentioned like you're able to foster a bond because you didn't go too far physically. Whereas if you did, I mean, there's so much there that there's no way you could ever retain a decent friendship with that person. And so if someone's listening to this, and they're like, okay, Gary, I got you. I have been messing up. I've been going too far in the wrong context. I know this stuff is, should be saved from marriage, but I already messed up. Okay. And they're listening to this podcast. What would you counsel them with? Well, if they've decided they don't want to fall again. Look, I've been a pastor for a while, Nick, and I've worked with a lot of people on this. And I know human nature. I would just say whether your fall has been pornography whether your fall is with food, whether it's premarital sex. If you really want victory, you've got to make it impossible. <laughs> if you've been sleeping together as a couple and you decide you don't want to, but then you're together 1130 at night alone in a house, mm, cuddling because yeah. you're cold, you're fooling yourself if you think it's not going to happen again. 
Um, the counselors I've listened to, uh, Joe Dallas writes about this in a book for men. You've got to make it impossible. How do you make it impossible? You meet at a Starbucks. Not too many people get naked and start having sex in a Starbucks. Or if you're watching a movie, you go to a movie theater. Now it might be dangerous depending on how daring someone is. But you get together with friends. You say goodbye at the door. You don't go in if you're tired. Uh, that's the whole thing about accountability software and stuff with, with porn. If, if a guy or a woman has been falling consistently, the kindest thing they can do to themselves is make it impossible to access it. So it's not this battle. A battle isn't fun. If your dating relationship is based on will we or won't we, you're not getting to know each other. Now it's a source of tension. It, Nick, if we would value peace, we would value holiness. Peace is that sense of assurance, security, the favor and presence of God that you value above all else. And you know, temptation destroys your peace. Sin destroys your peace. All of those things. And you say, you know what? Even though I think I might enjoy this, I value my peace even more. Uh, I think we're a culture that doesn't value peace the way the Bible does. And because of that, we let ourselves live with a lot of anxiety and regret and shame. Uh, people mm. call it freedom, but from the outside, it looks like a prison to me. Yeah, I would agree with you a hundred percent. And you mentioned something super key there. You mentioned sexual morality, of course, falling physically, going too far. But you also mentioned pornography. I think pornography is rampant today, right? I mean, it's such a common habit. And I would consider it a bad common habit, but many people listening to this may be, this may be novel to them. They may be hearing this and thinking, it's just, just me in my room by myself, you know, I'm not hurting anybody. So I, want you, I would love for you to speak to two things. Number one, what problem does pornography play for the single individual? Hey guys, before jumping back into the episode, I want to give a huge shout out to this show's sponsor, Making Him Known Apparel Company. Making Him Known is run by my guy, Aaron, and Aaron does an awesome job of making apparel that draws others to Jesus. They have hoodies, tees, totes, stickers, and much more stuff coming soon, all at makinghimknown.com, which will be linked in the show notes. So if you want to support this podcast, go support Making Him Known and go get you some awesome apparel. And what problem does it play in a relationship context, specifically maybe a serious relationship, marriage, yeah. engagement? Yeah. What issue does it play for those two types of people? Yeah. The one thought that it's a victimless crime we know just isn't true. And those listen, I'm saying that it's a lie. One, there's a lot of sex trafficking in porn. There just is. You don't know for sure if you're watching any one video, but if you watch a bunch of videos and most guys or women that get on there, they're going through a lot of videos. You're almost certainly coming across victims of sexual trafficking. As a believer, that should be abhorrent. And some people might say, well, I watch porn that's consensual. I watch porn that's somebody uh, amateur or whatever. I'll never forget, Nick, a woman coming up to me and saying um, that she was abused as a young girl, and so she became very promiscuous. And before she met Christ, she went on and she thought it was empowering to make porn videos. Now, I guess it was amateur or something like that, but it was, it was fully consensual. Then she becomes a believer, 
And she realized, no, it wasn't empowering. It was messed up. That was the broken, wounded me trying to deal with the pain. She can't get those videos back. They're probably in a hundred different places. So even if that person did give their consent, it doesn't mean they would give it now. And, and so you might be watching someone who that's their greatest regret was making that. And then what if you end up seeing them in a church? I mean, that's what she lives with. What if I'm worshiping next to someone and they recognize me? And I think of even celebrities that get exploited when videos get leaked. I'm talking about ones that were really leaked, not planted, or photos. Um, when, when people have hacked in, I just want to say to all guys, if none of us click on those pictures, the celebrities aren't exploited. If you click on that picture, you're just as guilty as a person who took it and posted it, mm. right? Because if nobody yes. would look, they wouldn't do it. You are a party to that exploitation. So um, that's the whole thing about this. Well, it's alone in my room. What's the big deal? And I, I would say that's even if you're paying for an OnlyFans thing or something like that. I don't know if they have full porn in that but yeah. it, Gary, it's, you're, getting, it's, Gary, you're getting somebody with that one now someone's like oh man he found out about this what um yeah. but but here's the thing what if she repents or he repents if it's I, I mean now it's out there you see it's just and you would hope they would right i mean yes. you're you've reached a level of a sick soul if you don't hope that person repents how do you hope that person repents if you're getting off with what they're doing? Um, wow. So, yes. so let, let's, but let, let's look at what happens relationally. We know this now. There's been a lot of brain science that studies this. And the fact is what's been amazing to me is how many secular groups are helping men and women get free from porn. That should tell you something. Just remove the moral element. We know relationally it's not healthy. It's not good for the relationship. Here's how porn works. The, the, the dopamine hit when watching porn comes from seeing somebody naked that you've never seen before. It's sort of like this hunting instinct and your dopamine is filled and you're like, wow, this is amazing. But that's why some guys, I'm getting very explicit, who maybe couldn't last five minutes in the bedroom with a real person yeah. can watch porn for two or three hours. If you talk to a guy who's been addicted to this, they'll tell you if they see a video or a picture they've seen before, it doesn't work. It doesn't have yep. the same pop. There's always got to be something new. So what you're training your brain to be sexually satisfied for, because your brain does learn what brings excitement. Your brain learn what brings, learns what brings release. You're training your brain to get sexually excited by seeing a naked woman that you've never seen naked before. That's the exact opposite of marriage, where sexual excitement, you look in the song of songs, the husband looks at the wife, the wife looks at the husband and they glory in each other's bodies. The husband is captivated by his, by her eyes. He's overwhelmed by her hair. It says that he's captivated by her breasts. And then the wife goes over the husband and, and all of these things are mesmerizing to her. If you, if you expose your brain to so much porn, you'll be incapable of getting sexually excited by a woman you've seen naked before, even though she's live in there in front of you. And, and look, I've had therapists and doctors tell me that 
the ED didn't exist in with men in their 20s until high-speed internet porn came along. Wow. We know it makes men incapable of performing in real life. That's why so many secular groups are helping guys get off of it because you're training your brain not to be excited in marriage. I would rather be excited seeing my wife. I would rather that I would think that's what gets me going. And, and porn trains me not to find my wife attractive because I've seen her before. Being yeah. faithful to my wife mentally and then having regular uh, intimacy with her actually trains my brain to find her to be the most beautiful woman in the world. When I have sex with my wife, as any man has sex with his wife, your, your brain is filled with oxytocin. Oxytocin is called the cuddle chemical and the bonding chemical. But another thing that it does is it helps you find a person. This is God's brilliant creative design. Find the person you're having sex with more attractive than other people and other people correspondingly less attractive. So if I'm not looking at porn and having regularly sex with my wife, I'm training my brain to find my wife to be the most sexually desirable woman in the world. What does that lead to? Satisfaction and peace and joy. I can sleep with a woman in my mind who's the most beautiful woman in the world. I, I can't say anytime I want, but it's not an issue. My, my wife and I, we, we believe in being together. Let me just put yeah, it yeah. that way. Uh, but you know what I've never seen with a guy that's working and struggling against porn? Satisfaction. It's compulsion. Mm. They're meeting an urge and then they feel shame or they feel regret. They're not proud of it. And, and, and it's life depleting. You spend an hour, two or three hours looking at that. I, I just, I just can't imagine. Uh, yeah. Your, your, your I've brain. Heard, I, yeah. I've and, heard and it yet, said that porn trains you for variety where essentially yes. you want to be focused on the one that God is giving you in this life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think the healthiest thing is what I said at the start, that as a Christian, we don't want to exploit others. When I would work with younger men that would feel bad about going to a strip club, for instance, um, and I would say to them, well, you feel horrendous, and you should, because you were there for an hour or two hours. Do you feel the same repentance and sorrow that because you're going to a place like this, a woman might be in there for five or six hours, maybe three or four or five days a week. They, they yeah. don't have any remorse for how they're stealing the soul. I go, what is it like for a woman to have that, have to do that, pretend she likes guys because she's trying to earn money or whatnot. We're, we're just so self-focused on what it does to us. Um, but I, I really think as Christians, we need to have a broader picture of how our participation in a really ugly industry exploits so many people. Oh, absolutely. And so that's pornography for the single individual. What about for someone who's married? For example, do you think do you think that porn use is, should be considered cheating, adultery, or would you not say that? Yeah, it's a complex question. When I look at the numbers of people, men and women who look at porn, and then you say, well, that's one act and that's one adultery. I mean, you're talking about overloading the divorce court. But let me start with this. I do believe that persistent, prolonged pornography use could be considered an affair eventually. You're having a sexual affair. You're getting your sexual needs met. 
with the website or I don't know, just just something other than your spouse. I, I, I do think at some point that has to be considered an affair. I think it's different if a man or a woman is aware of what they're doing. They're fighting against it. They're in recovery groups. I, I just think you have to look at it as a difference if somebody is willing to repent. And by repent, I don't mean just crying. If it's tears of shame or tears of I don't want to lose you, that's understandable, but that's not full repentance. Repentance is demonstrated actions in the opposite direction, which would be confessing to someone, maybe being in a 12-step group, making the phone calls, listening to podcasts or reading books, having accountability in place that means something. Then I think it's something that a couple can can work on. But if somebody is unrepentant in their porn use, um, one one wife came to me, she said her husband, you could tell this is dated because she was throwing away his magazines. And now I don't even know if those magazines exist. I think most guys would probably go online. But he said, if you throw away my porn, I'm throwing away your Bible. At that point, it's a guy saying, I'm going to have this. I don't think a wife has to put up with that. I don't think a wife has to share her husband with porn. If he's not willing to deal with it, I don't think she should feel like she has to you know, give herself intimately to him. It is fair for her to say, porn or me, you get to choose, but you can't have both. That is a completely legitimate request. Well, yeah, and that's a great, great point you made there, Gary. And I, I think a lot of people are, people are going to identify with that and that's going to give them a lot of clarity and help them just achieve a better perspective on how they see that as a whole. So obviously, Gary, we've covered a lot today in terms of relationships, sex, pornography, relationship, pro tips, all that stuff. But before we go, one last question for you. You are an author and you are a student. I know you. I know you're a student more than you even are a teacher. Like you devour information on the subject. You are a learner by trait. As you've learned and sought and read books and wrote books, what do you think is the greatest insight or lesson that you've ever gathered about relationships, about how to have a great one, about how to be a great spouse, relationship partner, anything of that sort? Well, I've hinted at this, Nick, so it'll sound repetitive. For me, the biggest transformation in my marriage was viewing my wife as God's daughter. Uh, Looking at God as my heavenly father-in-law, because I owe God everything, the fact that I exist, who I am, everything good in my life is because of him. The fact that I'm a human instead of a squirrel right? Uh, the, the fact that I get to have a wife and, and all that I do. So when God says to me, okay, I've given you all of this and his Holy Spirit and his word and everything that is just all the spiritual treasures available in Christ. And then God says to me, okay, and in return, I want you to love my daughter, your wife, out of reverence for me. Now I have a whole new motivation. I have a whole new purpose. I have a whole new power to love uh, someone like that. Uh, and, and so for me, connecting my marriage to worship has been the single most important thing I think I've done in regards to my marriage. Man, that's awesome, Gary. What an incredible, incredible insight. And we appreciate you being on again, talking some more stuff with us when it comes to relationships. And once again, this can be super helpful. You guys listening, if you haven't heard Gary's previous episode, go back and check that one out too. It's also super helpful. So Gary, thanks again for being on. Uh, you can, are awesome. Can I- can I add one thing, Nick? Please do. Please do. We talk yes. so much about porn. 
Can I just be a pastor for five minutes here? Please do. Um, My goal is not to make men or women feel guilty or to condemn them. Because if they come out of this podcast feeling shame, they might be more likely to act out because porn will momentarily make them feel better. And I'd feel like it's spiritual malpractice for me to leave it there. Let me just say, as a pastor, I understand. I grew up in a different world than your generation did. I grew up in a world where there were magazines, where you had to be a certain age to get them. And and I'll never forget in seminary, a good buddy of mine said, you know, I would never go into a store and buy a Playboy or a penthouse, but I wouldn't want to be in a locked room with one. I think everybody said, yeah, we, we, we kind of get that. Well, with the internet and with phones, every young man today is in a locked room with much more than a Playboy or a penthouse. I, I feel for them because, and, and the young men that I've dealt with, often the first exposure was not sought out. It was accidental, but it did something in their brains. They didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't have the spiritual resources, the emotional resources, or even the intellectual resources to figure out what was going on. All they knew was this is overwhelming. It is not a fair fight to tell a 12-year-old boy, click on this button and you get to see what a naked woman looks like, which is natural curiosity can take over. And many guys, not all, but many will then be addicted. It's going to hit them. It's going to be joined with shame and they're going to have a hard time getting away. So let me just say, I believe God is angry with those who have made porn so accessible to you, Mm. but he gets your struggle and he wants to set you free. He loves you. you. You haven't so grossed him out that he would never call you his son. He wants to bring healing. And yeah, he's angry that women are being exploited by this, but he will forgive you as he forgave David, who all but raped Bathsheba. And and, and so the way to freedom isn't self-condemnation or pretending, oh, I'm never going to do this again. You need help. Because if it's become at an addictive level, and I would say multiple times a week, you're getting into those addictive levels. Um, you're not going to beat it on your own. You know this, or you would be free by now because you probably promised yourself you'd be free many times. You need to get some help because with the way our brains operate, it stops being a moral choice and almost becomes an automatic neurological choice. The trigger comes up and you're going to fall. So talk with a counselor who has experience setting people free, who can help you identify these triggers, what makes you susceptible in the first place, how you respond when they're there. The one thing that I've heard every counselor tell me is that they never see somebody break this alone. Uh, There's some good resources. The game plan by Joe Dallas is great for groups of men to go through. Uh, It's really a, a recovery ministry from porn in a box. You, you can read the chapter, have the questions. Five or six guys can get together. Um, Drop the secrecy and the shame. You'd be surprised how many of your friends are dealing with this and say, hey, let's deal with this together as brothers in Christ. So I just, Nick, want to point him toward getting redemptive help rather than just feeling awful about themselves. Because I know I was pretty strong because I do want him to deal with it. I just don't want to leave them in condemnation. We serve a gracious, kind, compassionate, forgiving God who wants to give you a better life than porn could ever give you. Chase after that life. Seek that life. uh, And then let the bad just fall away.
Amen. 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 Gary, what a good word and such an encouraging one too. And so, man, thanks again, Gary. You're always uh, dynamite and uh, we appreciate your time. All right. Good to talk to you again.